Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. And today I'm here with Chandler Vinoy. Hey, hey. And also, uh, I don't know. I don't know how many times uh, Robbie Gallaty has been on the podcast. He is uh, he is a friend. Um, and I'm I'm extremely excited to have you on today, Robbie, just because... Um, one, one of the things that I've appreciated about you, I've known you now for six or seven years and, um, you, you produced books like they're going out of style, by the way. So firmly planted foundations, anything, uh, the discipleship Bible, what's the official name of that discipleship Bible? I think it's the, the, the disciples Bible. Yeah. The disciples That's Bible green. Um, I pulled that off of my shelf yesterday. Cause I was talking to somebody, uh, th- there was a, children's pastor that that was there that we were like trying to figure out how do we help students become leaders and we were like doing all this stuff and um and i was like okay before you go here's a bunch of different kind of bibles that that i have you know if you want another bible let's talk through these and so i was talking them through but i love 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 that um, I, I got to steal one of my favorite lines from you and about half the time I give you credit. Um, so we're just, you know, it's on record. I, I take podcast. your stuff too, without quoting you. So go ahead. Yeah, it's totally fine. Um, it is, it is. Uh, I, I'll talk, talk about church growth movement and I'm a big part of that. Um, but that we shifted and we made baptism, the finish lines to the starting line. So Robbie's life and heartbeat is bringing people over that first line, but not leaving them there. And so everything you write, everything you do is really about moving people from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 to Ephesians 2, 10. And I love you for that. And I love your ministry for that. Um, so it's a pleasure to have you on. And also because I know a little bit about what's going on at your church, some from you, uh, but a lot from other people that attend there. Tammy Heim was on recently. <clears throat> uh, and, and you know, she she goes to your church and loves what's going on there. It's a big part of what's going on there, too. Um, so just, just tell us, uh, share with us what is going on, and then we'll get into some questions, and I'm sure... We'll yeah. completely derail the five questions today, but yeah. <laughs> uh, half the time we do. Um, what I was going to say is I, I don't think we've ever done the five questions <laughs> if I've ever been on Chandler. So sorry. you know how we roll. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it is truly a, an honor to be back. I love, I love you guys and uh, love what you guys do. Um, I, I, I just want to share a little bit about what God's doing because genuinely, I really believe this. It's a genuine move of God. We were talking before we came on. Um, there's no way you could, even if I wanted to take credit and I'm, man, I'm prideful and arrogant and the Lord showed me a lot of ways that I am uh, in my own life. But even if I wanted to, I couldn't. And the Lord began to work uh, about 11 weeks ago, um, just in a magnificent way and prayerfully we'll back up and show you what he did 10 months leading up to that. But 11 weeks ago, I got up on a Sunday morning after hearing God speak to me. Now, I know that's going to scare some people, but on December 15th, I really heard the Lord speak to me. Wasn't an audible voice, but I knew it was the Lord. And the reason I knew it was the Lord's voice is because I had sat for 10 months in silence and solitude for 
for an hour to two hours a night. And someone said, how do you know the voice of God? And I, and I respond to them, if you're ever outside playing and your mother calls your name in the midst of all the noise, you recognize the voice. And I think for a while I had sat with the Lord. I would, I would sit with the Lord for months and I knew this was the, and here's how I knew it was the Lord. The, the two words I heard from God were spontaneous baptism. Now, I've only been a Christian believer for 17 years at that point. I didn't know much about spontaneous baptism. Uh, Todd, I'd never offered spontaneous baptism. Frankly, I had seen abuses of spontaneous baptism. And so I was a little leery about it. And so I put it on the back burner for two days. I'm like, is that really the Lord? And on December 20th, which was the last Sunday we were going or in person on um, at Long Hollow. And it was the, the last Sunday for four weeks we would meet. Uh, we had told people the week before, stay home. It was uh, a mask mandated or a mask encouraged service. And at that time, if you guys remember, we were leading the, the, the country in COVID cases. Right, so right. it was like everything you can pour on this offering. It's like Elijah back in the day, like put more, <laughs> a little more water yeah. on the offering. I show up that Sunday, December 20th. It's the lowest attended Sunday in the history of me being here for over five years. And I thought, really, Lord, spontaneous baptism. The number he gave me, and I recorded a video the night before, was 100. Now, you guys have been around church and ministry. I've never seen 100 people baptize in a Sunday. I mean, maybe a camp share day or a VBS or end of a big event, but spontaneously, COVID, COVID waters, you know? So I'm like, really, Lord, a hundred people. And uh, by God's grace, when I gave the invitation, I just said, hey, y'all aren't prepared to be baptized, but we are. And if you're going to take the step of faith, we believe baptism, I'm a Baptist pastor, I believe baptism is the first step of obedience. I was christened as a baby years ago and uh, as a Roman Catholic, but came to faith later and followed through with believers baptism. And I said, hey, if you want to declare publicly what God's doing internally, it doesn't save you. But if you'd make that declaration, meet me at the baptistry. And so I stood over there, Todd, nobody moved. And I thought, really, Lord? And then all of a sudden, one person, then two people, then four people. And at the end of the day, we baptized 99 people in the first day. <laughs> and like you guys, I'm like, what just happened? You know, I mean, what just happened here at Long Hollow? And I, I believe God wasn't done. And so two days later, two days before Christmas Eve, I said, guys, told my staff, I think we need to open the church for a baptism only service. This is Tuesday. Who comes on a Tuesday night? No, no preaching, no planned service, no programming. 81 people drove in from all over the city to be baptized. And from that point on, we were online for four weeks and I thought maybe this thing will wane and it's done just the opposite. We're now 11 weeks in and we just baptized the 739th person yesterday at one of our student events. And I say that not to boast to me because this isn't anything I've done. This a sermon series doesn't produce something like this for those who preach. And I love preaching. This is simply a genuine outpouring of the Spirit of God. And what makes it even more amazing is that we've baptized people from 12 states. Uh, this Sunday will be the 13th state. Someone's flying in from Houston, Texas. But the one that took the cake, guys, was a girl from Maine three weeks ago flew in. Now, let me just speak to this. because This is obviously not on the question, but let me just say something we've learned. And for your audience, I think they would appreciate this. 
in in the history of revival, normally the outpouring of God's spirit happens at a particular place at a particular time in a building. And what COVID has shown us, because I thought, well, the whole revival will wane. We're going online. We're not going to be able to meet in person. What's going to happen? But God began to show us this, that the median of the screen, the, the television screen or the computer screen, doesn't minimize the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That God still moved through television screens and computer devices and cell phones as people watched the service and watched people baptize from Houston and Virginia and South Carolina and Florida and Texas. And they, when they come in to be baptized, I would ask them, why are you here? Why did you come here? You could have been baptized in Maine or, you know, South Carolina or Atlanta. And they said, here's what they said. The spirit of God drew us here. And God began to show me, he began to break my compartmentalized perspective of what church is. Cause you know, we think church is a building. God can only move in a building. And God began to show me, I can move. I'm not bound by location or geography. Hmm. Robbie, man, just thank you so much for sharing that. And it's incredible to see what the Lord's doing at Long Hollow. And you mentioned, you know, this has been going on for 11 weeks, but you said, hey, there was a lot of work that the Lord did in your heart for the 10 months prior to that and probably in the lives of a lot of, of your team and, and your church. So our first question is, is, you know, what is your favorite leadership failure story? And I think, I think this is going to set up perfectly to lead into where the Lord was working in your heart. So do you mind answering that for us? Yeah, that really led me to the, the hearing of God's voice, I think, um, December 15th. So when COVID happened, like a lot of you listening, uh, I wasn't prepared for what we were going into. I wasn't prepared physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, we were shifting so often. And I had, frankly, up to that point, gotten to a place of burnout. You know, the last person to realize you're burnt out is you. And right before burning out, most everyone says, I'm fine. I, what are you talking about? I'm not stressed. What are you talking about? And then they burn out. And so uh, in August, the year before, I had lost a good friend, which I'm sure you guys remember, Jared Wilson, to suicide. Jared was like a little brother to me. Uh, he called me his big brother. He lived in Nashville for years. He went to serve in California. I was helping him. Uh, he was trying to come back to, to Nashville to be a part of uh, his uh, Anthem of Hope ministry. We were going to partner with him at my church. And he texted me the day before he passed. And so that was the first blow in August. And then when COVID came, I thought, I, I really need to check my own soul because Jared never set out to have it end this way. Little did I know, two months later, another close friend, by the way, both of these guys preached for me at Long Hollow within six months of their passing. Both of them sat at my dining room table and shared life and ministry and struggles six months before suicide. In, in, in May of that year, uh, 2020, Darren Patrick, uh, who had spoken at my church, who had led our staff retreats, who, by the way, a lot of people don't know this, we were going to hire Darren on a consultant basis to work with us at Long Hollow, and then COVID hit. And so I realized, okay, both of these guys, like a lot of leaders listening, set out in ministry not to have it in this way. And so I began to pry back my own life and I thought, okay, what, what is happening below the surface? Let me pop the hood of my own heart and see what's happening. And here's what I've realized about myself. I realized I was getting to the place of burning out. 
And here's where, here's how you know you're learning out, especially if you're in ministry. The Bible for you becomes a tool to use and not a treasure to behold. And for me, it was a great place for sermons. It was a great place for devotionals. Man, I could put together a blog post with the Bible. But And, and I was a discipleship guy. So you would say, well, really, Robbie? But I found that I was microwaving my quiet time with God. I found that I was getting in the habit of checking boxes when I would spend time with God. And what I know about ministry now is that ministry is a seductive mistress. And what I mean is it's very easy for us to fall in love with the ministry of Jesus and out of love with the Jesus of our ministry. Meaning the benefits, the blessing, the accolades, the names, the titles as a pastor, leader, ministry leader, and the Lord began to show me, you're going to burn out. And so I went into the porch. I call it porch time. I began to sit on the porch and I began to engage. And the word I'm using here is specific. Engage silence and solitude. Which, by the way, that is the greatest leadership teacher for me over the past year or two is silence and solitude. Now, silence and solitude, we don't know much about in the Protestant church today, simply because a lot of it was hidden in the dark ages. Uh, it was a real secret of the monasteries, and they kind of kept it under wraps for years and years. And it wasn't until the 70s that they came out with it. But silence and solitude was something I knew nothing about. And so I began to sit with the Lord. And, and let me just share with you, for those listening, it, it goes against the reciprocal mindset of our spiritual formation society today. Because in spiritual formation, Todd, you know this, we read the Bible so that God gives us a word. I do this, you do this. You know, channel, we pray, God speaks. We give, God gives back. We go on mission, there's a blessing. Silence and solitude, watch this, is fundamentally different in the sense of you don't get anything normally, tangibly from God. In fact, I remember early on, uh, I'd spent like an hour with the Lord uh, early on, second, third month, and I was just sitting with the Lord in silence. And I went in the house and I, I'm like, and I was talking to the Lord out loud. I'm like, Lord, really? What just happened? Like, what did I just get from one hour sitting here on the porch? And I felt like the Lord tapped me on the shoulder. And you've had these experiences. And the Lord said, you didn't get nothing. You got everything because you got me. And more importantly, I got you. And what I began to show my my, my Western transactional mind was that it simply was a desire to be with God. I just wanted to be in the presence of God. And as I aligned myself on that porch in the presence of God, God began to work on my heart. So uh, as I went out to the porch, I'll say, honestly, I thought I was going to fix the problems in my organization. God fixed the problems at Long Hollow, fixed the problems with my staff. And we all have it, right? Fixed the problems in the, uh, in the deacon body. Fix the problems in our country. At that time, there's a lot of unrest, if you remember. Fix the problems with COVID. And here's what I found out about four or five months in. The Lord showed me the problem, Robbie, is not with your church. The problem is not even with your staff. It's not with your deacon body. It's not with the country or the community you pastor in. Watch this. God said to me, Robbie, the problem is you. Now, in leadership, as you guys know, that's a hard pill to swallow. Because I would, I would have said at that time, if you would have asked me, do you have any known sin in your life? Like if I asked you, do you have any known sin? You probably said, no, I don't. What are you talking about? I mean, do I struggle with pride, arrogance? Yeah, maybe. 
but no known sin in my life. And as I began to sit with the Lord, see, the Holy Spirit is a great leader and he's honest. And if you ask him to put his finger on the pulse of the problem of your life, he is great at it. And Todd, what he began to do, and this is obviously a longer discussion, but what he began to do is pull back the layers of pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency in my own life and show me the blind spots. Listen, every person listening has a blind spot or two in their life. You don't know it. That's why it's called a blind spot. But as you sit with the Lord, one of the greatest ministries of the Holy Spirit is counselor. And I like to ask pastors a lot, leaders, when was the last time you consulted the Holy Spirit and asked him honestly to show you some things in your life? And so I thought leading up to the time of God moving, I thought I was going out to the porch to fix problems. God said, no, no, I've got to fix you. You're the problem. Hmm. Even just hearing you say that, my my initial reaction is like, all our culture is so just fast paced. We have our schedules busy and it's like, there's people listening. I know even myself, it's like, oh man, an hour a day. Like, where can I find the time for that? And then there's also this where we don't really want to slow down because just as you said, the Holy Spirit starts pressing on areas of our life, which, which you said, man, that prayer of Lord, show me areas of weakness, show me my blind spots. That's a scary prayer to pray because he's going to reveal it to you and is pointing out sin. And it's, it's like you said, it's, it's, you know, peeling back layers and that's a tough process. But for, for those listening who would say, man, Robbie, that silence and solitude, I've never done that. You know, I don't know if I can commit an hour a day. Can you, can you give like, Hey, what are one to two things that you can do to actually make that happen? Not just be a pipe dream, but instead actually do it in their own ministry and life. Yeah, great question. So let me give you a line. And this is a line that is kind of set the tone for the entire season. And it's been 12 months now, but uh, here's the line. Every great movement of God begins by not moving. Now, that is antithetical to everything we teach in leadership, because in leadership, it's about if it's meant to be, it's up to me. If it's going to happen, it's on my time, right? If you believe it, achieve it. Uh, grab it, claim it, make it happen. I wake up, I get moving. That's, I mean, how, how we work in, in leadership. But the Lord showed me this before you can ever, before I can ever do a great work through you, I've got to do a deep work in you. And so many people want to go out in ministry or in pastoral ministry, and, and they don't want to wait upon the Lord. I mean, think about John the Baptist. I mean, this is a perfect example. John the Baptist waits 30 years before he opens his mouth and he only preaches six months. We have pastors today, with all due respect, go to school or train or get equipped for six months and they want to go preach 30 years. And I think one of the problems uh, today is we've traded callous knees of prayer for seminary degrees. We've traded the anointing for intellect. And and I say, and I say this because I've done it. I mean, I believe when I went to seminary years ago, I went in there with an anointing on my life. God had radically saved me from drugs and alcohol. I sensed the presence of God. I walked in the power of God. And I went to, and listen, I'm not here to bash seminary. I love seminary. Seminary was great for me. I went as a one-year-old Christian. It was great for me. But I went to seminary and traded an anointing for intellect. And I traded the power of God for ingenuity and my own ability. And what I found is when you do that, guys, if you're listening, ladies, 
you will burn out very, very quickly because you've done it in your own power. And so here's what I would say. You need to cultivate a time. This, I'm glad you asked this. Start with 20 minutes. Now, the hour became two hours. In fact, last night, that's what I, I sat for an hour and a half. I would have sat for two hours, but I got home later. But it's a, it's an hour to two hours a night. And you're thinking, two hours a night? How can I get there? It becomes insatiable. I'm just telling you, if you try this, it becomes insatiable. It's like that time when you first met your spouse. And when you first met, I remember when I first met Candy, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough of being in her presence. I wanted to talk to her. Remember this time you used to talk to your girl, your wife as a girlfriend for hours and hours I, at a time. I don't know how I made it through seminary. <laughs> I don't know how I made it through life because it, I mean, it's like you're, you're living on like four five hours of sleep a night because you're studying, you're spending any possible moment you can with that person. Um, and you're probably and you desired. Yeah. And you want to do that. You remember that? I mean, you just long to be in the presence of that person. Well, sitting with the Lord like this is kind of that renewing of that relationship again. Now, here's what you find out about your relationship, Todd. Now, you and your wife, when you go to dinner, like Candy and I will go to dinner. We drive from Hendersonville to, to Nashville, which is about 20, 25 minutes. There are many times now after being married 17 years, watch this, where we will ride in the car together to dinner and we won't say a word. And we don't have to because we enjoy each other's presence. That's a mature relationship. And so what you're trying to do is get to the place with God where in prayer, it's not just a monologue. See, what the Lord showed me in my prayer life was I was really good at trying to tell God how to do his job better. And so I had all these laundry list items of God, you do this and I need you to do that. And the more I sat with the Lord, I realized that the human language, guys, this is really an insight the Lord gave me. The human language is insufficient. Even the best language we have, which is a man-made language, the human language is insufficient in the presence of an infinite, eternal God. Thomas Keaton said, Keating said this, and this really helped me. He said, God's first language was silence. Out of silence, he spoke everything. It was in the st small, still voice that he spoke to Moses. And the problem with many of us is we say, well, God doesn't speak to me. I don't hear the Lord. I'd, I'd wait on the Lord if I, he would speak. He is speaking. But we have to, through silence and solitude, sit long enough for the voices and the noises and the volume in our life to slow down enough we can hear that small voice. Okay, so I have a follow-up question for you um, because uh, almost every time we're together, I'm convicted by something, which is uh, which is probably why we don't hang out as much. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, but I'm just being honest. Uh, the interesting thing to me here is so you hit guys like me square in the face with what you've just said. However, I want you to pick on our theologian friends for a minute, because I think there's an illusion of, oh, well, this is for, you know, these these leadership guys, these guys that are taking business principles and applying them to the church. And, you know, they're hustling and, uh, you know, all this stuff. But I would say this message is equally. Perfectly aligned. Um, 
for the for the theologians among us too that you know because uh, we you have the preaching is preeminent crowd and yes it is and yes study is important and yes theology is really important i totally get that but is there an illusion there is there a substitute there um that you think people might be uh putting in the place of silence yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think you're exactly right. I think that the, the greatest challenge in the American church today is we've traded power for programs or we've traded power for uh, PhDs. I mean, if you could put it that way, and, and again, I'm not against that because I'm a part of that. But what the Lord showed me is it's very easy to have a pharisaical ministry whereby you do all the right things. You can answer all the right questions but you have no spiritual power. And, and I have to confess for years, Todd, as a pastor, I feel like I have led and preached without sensing an anointing upon my life for power. And, and, and just mm-hmm. from where I am today to where I was a year or two ago, I'll never go back. I, I think I've crossed the line by sitting with the Lord. And really, I, I feel like the Lord has really touched me in, in an amazing way. Now, let me tell you a cool book, and this will lead into one of the books. <laughs> so let me help us with our conversation. <laughs> this will lead into the book that I'm going to recommend to the audience, which will help because what happened to me in those 10 months, I didn't have words for. I couldn't explain fully. People would ask me, what just happened to you? And I, I would tell them, one of the greatest things in life is trying to explain something you don't fully understand. Now, think about that. One of the greatest things in life is trying to explain something to someone you don't fully understand. That flies in the face of modern theology, because in modern theology, we have if we can't explain it, we we don't believe it. We don't understand it. But you got to understand one of the things we lost in the church world today is the word mystery. Yeah. uh, Reverence of a holy God that we can't understand. And for those listening, if you if you understood everything about God, he wouldn't be a God you'd want to worship anyway, I promise you. Now, here's the book, okay? The book is called They Found the Secret. <laughs> this is not a business book. It's not a theological book. It's more of a biographical book. Now, let me tell you why I recommend that book of all the books that I could recommend. Because what, what happened to me is I was a believer. I was a Christian. I had degrees. I went to school and I pastored and led my organization in my power for many years. And I got sick and tired and burnt out to a place where I thought there has to be more than this. I was sick and tired of business as usual. I was sick and tired of business meetings that went long. I was sick and tired of demon deacons and cantankerous choir members and everything else. And the the people in your churches and businesses that have the gift of constructive criticism, and we have them all. And I said, Lord, there has to, Chandler, there has to be more than this. And if there isn't more than this, I'm done. I I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to run an organization. I want to see the manifest presence of God. And God came down and God began to move. Now, Someone just happened to share this book with me and they said, hey, this is what you're experiencing. So here's the book. The book is 20 men and women through history who were believers, who were followers of God, got to the place where they realized there had to be more. They wanted to change, change, exchange um, despair for power. They wanted to exchange sorrow for joy. They were done. And at the end of themselves, and this is a cool line, when you get to the end of yourself, it's a great place to be. Why? Because the end of yourself is the beginning of God. The end of yourself, yeah. 
is the beginning of God. I think what's really interesting here is I came across a line in a business book, sorry, but (laughs) called the curse of familiarity. Mm. And it's, um, we never really learn anything because we understand it too soon. And in a modern day, when we have, you know, uh, I can't tell you how many books I've had to get rid of recently, but you know, it's like between my wife and I, who, how many, how many studies have we done or how many books do we read for seminary or how many sets of commentaries do we have all this stuff and uh, all the information that we get, the great people we get to talk to, there's a curse of familiarity there and we don't learn it because we think we understand it. And we even tell other people how to do it. And as pastors, um, man, there's a curse of familiarity with an amazing, holy, infinite God that we think we understand. Well, let me tell you, let me, let me, let me piggyback on that. So prior to oh. December 20th, where God began to pour out his spirit, um, I thought I knew who the Holy Spirit was, but I realized I didn't know much about the Holy Spirit. In fact, I'm Southern Baptist. And so we don't talk much about the Holy Spirit because we're scared of the Holy Spirit. Even mentioning the word Holy Spirit, people are getting nervous right now. And the Lord began to reveal to me, Robbie, you know more about my son, Jesus, who was here 33 years than you do about the Holy Spirit, who's been here for 2000 years in you, not just on the earth, because he's been here since the beginning, but in people. And so I began to realize I need to learn more about the Holy Spirit. He's a great leader. And he wants to lead. And so here's what this book is about. This book is about 20 men and women who came to a place of the end of themselves and then God worked magnificently in their life and they were never the same. People like Amy Carmichael, Adnarm Judson, John Wesley, Charles Finney, other men in my favorite is D.L. Moody, Hudson Taylor's in there. D.L. Moody, not many people know this about Moody. D.L. Moody preached for 10 years and led crusades. And people came to the, to the Lord and people responded and he had wonderful meetings. But he, like a lot of pastors, realized they, that he was missing something. There had to be something more to this. And so he began to pray, not for six days, not even for six weeks, for six months. Every day, God, pour out your presence. Fill me with your spirit. Touch me by your hand. One day he's walking on a street. He said the power of God falls on him and his line in his journal was, God, would you stay your hand? Basically, would you hold back your hand because I'm going to be paralyzed? On the, I'm going to die on this street. He knocks on the door of a home. He asked the lady, can I go in your home? She said, come on in. He does business with God for a few hours. And Todd, when he leaves that home, he's not the same man. In fact, the rest of his ministry history records. He is a man filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And so I read that book and I thought, these are not extraordinary people. These are ordinary people who knew an extraordinary God and who walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I said, I want that. That's what I want. You know, you mentioned previously, as you guys were were planning, you know, you've seen the outpouring of the Holy Spirit over the past 12 weeks. And you're saying, hey, you know, there's kind of guys who it's like, if I'm going to do this, it's going to be in my own power. I've got to kind of work really hard on it. And I feel like as, as you were saying that, I was thinking, man, you know, we plan, we make plans. And, you know, just as Todd was saying, the curse of familiarity, it's like, 
well, this worked last time. Let's kind of run the same playbook. Let's, we, we kind of know what will work. What, what is this experience and what you've walked through? What do you feel like that's going to change the way that you plan as a church? And instead of just, hey, we know the playbook, but instead being more receptive of the Holy Spirit and being able to, to, to plan in that way. Yeah, let me give you a radical idea. Instead of meeting for the next planning business meeting, uh, and, and the, the way I got this was I, I thought about the early church. The first century church was built agonizing in a prayer meeting. The modern church is led organizing in a business meeting. And something radical to think about is what if instead of meeting for a two hour business meeting for one hour and 58 minutes planning and then praying for two minutes for God to bless and rubber stamp your ideas? What if you spent the first hour on your faces praying and then get up and say, I think I have a word from God. Now, I know that's radical. And I know people say, wow, can you actually do that? Well, that's what we started to do at Long Hollow. Any, any idea, any direction now, we're sitting with the Holy Spirit, we're, we're sitting with God, and we're saying, God, what do you want to do for our church? You see, uh, and, and I, I think of a great line from um, the Chronicles of Narnia. It, it, they asked him about Aslan, and he said, Aslan said, uh, he never does, or they said about Aslan, he never does the same thing twice. Hmm. And God's the same way. God wants to do something. It's like this expression of, of, of baptism at Long Hollow. In years past, revival has been different. Some, sometimes it's been preaching with the first great awakening. With the Welsh revival, it's been praying and, and, and praising God. At Long Hollow, it's been an expression of baptism. God doesn't always do the same thing. And the thing about your organization is God wants to do something specific with your organization. I, I'll tell you a cool leadership principle that uh, I just actually preached on this recently. One of the greatest seminary and, and actually professors of all time was Howard Hendricks. And you guys are probably Amen. familiar. Yeah, he's <laughs> yep. the greatest, right? And he used to teach his class. And I don't know if you use this. And you may, you may, it's maybe redundant, but let me just give it to you. Howard Hendricks would draw for his students a funnel on the screen. And at the top of the funnel, he would put these X's at the top of the funnel, the bigger part. And he would say, these are all the things in life that you can do. And then at the bottom of the funnel, where the funnel comes together, he would draw one X at the bottom and he would say, this is the thing you must do. In fact, this is the thing you were created to do. And then he said this, which is so crazy. Think about this. He said, the more success you have in life, the more can do's in life fill up the funnel. So some of your high capacity leaders, you, you can do a lot of things good, but it doesn't mean you can do a lot of things well. And so what he says is most opportunities in your life will be distractions in disguise. And so what he said is, if you're careful, you spend all your time doing the things you can do and not the very thing you must do. Now, what does this mean for the pastor leader? I had the privilege years ago of having dinner with Erwin Lutzer. Uh, Dr. Lutzer at the time was the pastor of Moody Bible Church. Some of you remember him. He was a he was a role model for me. I'd listened to his preaching. It was an amazing opportunity. It was at the NRB conference in Nashville. And I was a new pastor at Brainerd Baptist Church. And I was sitting with Dr. Lutzer. And I said, Dr. Lutzer, can you give a young new pastor an insight for ministry? He said, I've got one question for you. I've never forgotten this. He said, Robbie, what is the one thing you can do at your church that no one else can do? 
I said, uh, I guess preparing and preaching the word. He said, yes. He said, is there anything else? I said, well, I guess I, I could invest in the staff and, and, and really shepherd them. He said, yes. Anything else? I said, well, maybe cast vision. He said, yes, that's it. He said, if you don't do the very thing God's called you to do, the only thing you can do in the organization, then every other thing in the organization will suffer when you don't do what God's created you to do. And here's what I've realized, and I'll finish with this, but this is what I realized. Burnout in your life and my life comes when we do the thing we can do and are made to do, and we do all the other things that other people can do at the same time. That's burnout. Burnout is I'm doing the thing I'm made to do, and I'm also doing the thing everybody else is made to do at the same time, and we burn out. No matter how many people you have on staff at your church, there's only so much you can accomplish in a day, right? Your church exists to serve your community. So the mission of your church and its staff is to reach as many people as you can. That's why productivity is essential for churches, as most of your church's success lies in its ability to lean into and leverage resources for optimum performance. And thankfully, our friends at Belay know this well. Belay is an innovative staffing solution with over 10 years of experience serving churches, and they have successfully matched thousands of organizations with part-time virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media strategists. That's why they're offering our listeners a free download of their resource, Church Leaders, Essential Strategies to Unleash Productivity. Let Belay help your church live its mission in your community by helping you juggle less and accomplish more. Just go to Belay, that's B-E-L-A-Y, solutions.com slash Lifeway for your free download. Well, I know on this podcast episode, we've, we've talked a lot about what seminary can teach you and, and all of those type of things. So what advice would you give to a young driven, you know, it could be college or seminary student about the real world of, of ministry and leadership? And then maybe you could include also what advice they should ignore. Yeah. So I used to, I've changed my advice because I used <laughs> to give this advice, but I'm going to, I've tailored it a little bit. So the greatest advice I used to give to, to leaders, particularly younger or newer leaders to an organization, younger in age or newer to the organization is this. Young leaders suffer, and, I, and I've done this, so I know from experience. Young leaders suffer from two challenges. They will overestimate what God can do in the short term, and they will underestimate what God will do over the long haul. What do I mean? You go in and you change things and you fix things and you rearrange things and you don't study the culture, which I know you guys talk about a lot. You don't understand the context. You don't get to know your people. You don't uh, process the organization. You don't realize assimilation. So you get ahead of God and you do things quickly and you underestimate the long haul. But here's what I found out. Here's what I've changed it. I think here's the two greatest things we need to learn. Number one is we overestimate what we can do in our own power. And we underestimate what God can do when we seek him. Leonard Ravenhill, who's one of my heroes, told David Wilkerson, who's the pastor, who was the pastor of Times Square Church, he told him this line. And this is a line I want to kind of reverberate in your heart as we finish. But here's the line he said. 
He said, the problem in the American church is that pastors today don't pray. Now, I, I took offense to that years ago, to be honest. I thought, what are you talking? I pray. I pray before meals. <laughs> I pray before services. I got a deacon body that comes in. We pray before I preach. What are you talking about? And then I realized what he was talking about was really pressing in in prayer and spending time with God. And I realized, you know what? I wasn't doing that. And so now prayer for me, I've designated a time in the morning where I spend time in prayer. I have a midday time of prayer and modeled this after the uh, daily office of uh, mm -hmm kind of the monastery. And then I have, a, and Pete Scazzaro is a friend and he's helped me with this. And then I have an afternoon time of prayer. Here's the thing I would give leaders advice to ignore. Okay. Resist the temptation of seeking God for what he can give you and not seeking God for who he is. Because I think so often, and I'm, I'm guilty as charged, I want God to bless me with the benefits of who he is. I pray for God to do miracles and baptisms and expansion and scope and significance and bring more people and raise attendance. And all those things are good. And you can pray for those things. But God says, that's a, God showed me that's a shallow prayer. If you pray for the hands of God and not his face, you may get neither. But if you pray and seek the face of God, you get both. And that's so good. Um, I, I feel like that theme has come up again and again throughout the podcast. Uh, the first line that you said that was in that vein that really hit me hard was um, you, your prayers are basically telling God how to do his job. And if we're all honest, I think a lot of us are guilty of that. The things that we want for our ministries are, are really us telling God what we want for our ministries, not maybe what he wants or what he wants to do. And um, so often I think he wants to do way more than we ever thought or imagined. You know? Just thank you so much for uh for sharing your story with us today, just for being vulnerable and sharing where you have been and where you are. Um, man, it doesn't change anything about what I said earlier that uh, you're one of the best guys I know. And one of the most focused guys I know on taking people from that first walk of faith forward. Um, and what's beautiful that's come out today is it's, it's kind of come full circle where you're coming back around and, you know, where the line, you know, we treat baptism like it's the, the finish lines to the starting line. And now what your ministry is being blessed by is people stepping forward and saying, OK, um, whether it's this wasn't this wasn't real the first time I did it or I was baptized as a child and I want to do this now. And it is a step over the line. What you're asking yes. them to do is step over the line. And, um, we just, uh, we, we pray that God will bless your ministry and, uh, we're excited to, to continue to hear it and be a part of it and, and honestly, um, learn from it and be blessed by it ourselves. So thank you, Robbie. Yeah. I'll leave you with, thank you for having me, man. Always a joy. I'll leave you with one thing about prayer. The Lord just brought to mind as you sit with the Lord in silence and solitude, you have to remember God's willingness to give is beyond our capacity to receive. 
Jesus said, if evil men know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so it's not that we sit in prayer begging for God to give us something. God is willing to give. He wants to bless his children. The challenge for many of us is that we don't spend time sitting and asking. So hopefully you've been challenged and we'll start asking and sitting more with the Lord. (laughs) Well, Robbie, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. And thank you for listening. This has been helpful to you and your leadership. Head on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. We'll see you next time.